Okay, welcome back or welcome to the Manchild Podcast, the podcast about struggling well. What do we mean when we say that? What we mean is what would you do if you weren't afraid to struggle at it first? So many of the things that we do we we or don't do, we avoid because of fear, fear of failure, fear of embarrassment, fear of it not working out, fear that we'll find out something about ourselves and we won't be, and, we, and, and maybe we're not enough. We get into this and so much more with our podcast guest, Angela Duckworth. Dr. Angela Duckworth is a psychologist and professor at the University of Pennsylvania. She is the author of the best-selling New York Times best-selling list, Grit, Passion, and Perseverance. The Power of Passion and Perseverance. Her TED Talk if you haven't watched it yet, on YouTube has over 17 million views. This is a big time conversation. We get into uh, why and how she got into studying uh, something that we've always known as important, being tough, being resilient and intangible. But she has applied the scientific method to humanity development, character development, after you read, after you listen to this, uh, make sure you get on her website, characterlab.org. Uh, some really interesting, some really valuable information. If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, listen, we are entering an age where emotional resiliency, mental toughness have never been more necessary to step out and do something in life, in society today. We step into this conversation. I hope you come away with a different perspective, with a deeper understanding of how to build grit in your child, in your players, in your uh, co-workers, the people around you, yourself, and understand that when we remove fear or when we are able to understand why we're afraid of it, we can do anything we want. You're going to love this conversation. I enjoyed having it. Here we go. Let's have a listen. One of the things that I feel like um, get gets overlooked, if you want to say, is the decision that you made to go study this stuff. Um, because I think that that's really mm-hmm. impressive. Is you who are world class educated, right? Um, where your degrees and you in Oxford and, and in, you're in this big time consulting firm and then you go, um, you know, I want to, I want to go teach. So can you take yeah. me through that kind of decision process of where you decided I'm, this isn't for me and I need to go do this? I, I'd love to do that. So, um, I, was I think always trying to figure out, you know, like everyone, I mean, honestly, every person's trying to figure out like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, yeah. what am I doing? And um, how can I do something that I'm useful um, um, for and also that I'm good at? And I struggled a long time to figure that out. And it was really, I actually have so much empathy, not just sympathy, but genuine empathy for um you know, people of all ages who are trying to figure that out because it is um, much harder than the 
than the actual work of it, right? So, you know, not knowing what you're doing, you know, direction is harder than determination in some ways. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I did, I I did know that I cared about kids and education, but I think this is one of the challenges that we all face is that like, you know, you get to these like narrow and narrow categories, you're like kids, education, but there's still a million things that you can do. And so you find yourself like just wishing somebody would just tell you what to do. Um, but, but nobody does can, can right you're like oh you know if someone just told me what to do i would just do it but then <laughs> and i would work really hard at it but yep. you know um so so for me anyway it did take a full 10 years from when i graduated from college and when i left education as a teacher it was because i think i had enough experience to realize that it would not be specifically teaching or even being a principal which is the next natural thing that you would do right um that would be my contribution. And um, then when when I asked myself, you know, what am I good at? Um, which I think is actually interesting because, you know, with grit, you know, it's all about resilience and working hard. But, but I do think it's important that people also take into account their talents. And, um, and by that, I mean, you know, there's got to be some things that are easier for you and yes. some things that are harder for you. Um, now, a lot of that, I think, has to do with your interests and just, you know, your early experiences and like what you see other people doing. But for whatever reason, um, I think my talents and my interests are, um, you know, in science and in writing. Yeah. So I chose to become a psychologist. Yeah. Um, and I think those were things that I was, frankly, missing as a teacher. Like, you don't write a lot as a teacher for you know, the not the way that I had to write later and the way I write now. Well, uh, and you weren't doing science, so so that was my, my change. But that's not that's not exactly common. I mean there's a lot of people that feel like I don't I'm not firing on all cylinders here and then that's it. That thought happens and then they work for at that job for thirty more years and then they retire and, and move to Florida. But you did that twice. Like you you yeah. you go to the consulting firm, then you go teach and then you go still not exactly how I can be utilizing this skill set that I have the most. That to me just yeah. starts out rare. It starts out, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I did, um, you know, go to my Harvard reunion, uh, two years ago. And, um, as reunions meet you in my 25th reunion and I, you know, like everybody else who was there was just reflecting on, um, how our life, you know, stories were, were turning out and, um, uh, I asked one of my very good friends why I had been so fortunate, um, because I, I, I did, you know, recognize, um, that, you know, I had been able to do some things and get some attention and some praise. And she said, cause I said to her, I was like, look, you knew me when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. And like, you've known me my whole life mm-hmm. since then. And we both know that I am smart, but not the smartest person in our class. Um, you know, not the best writer in the class, you know, not the most attractive person in the class, like, you know, not the richest person in the class. What, what, what do you think it is? And she said, you're not afraid. Mm. And I think in terms of these choices, I, I think there is, um, I am actually not afraid. Like I'm not afraid. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not like a risk taker in the sort of like jump out of airplanes or entrepreneurial, but I think I am, you know, if you said like, um, 
hey, do you want to do this thing that, like, very few people can do and, like, maybe you won't be able to do it, I would say, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I may not be afraid of failure or I may not, you know, anyway, I'm not afraid. That is very it, uh, amazing, really, because it fits right into the whole thing that this project is about, this man, we're calling it man-child, is is basically fearless like a child confident almost ridiculously mm -hmm. confident like a child but then very prepared and thorough and studied up and read up like like a grown-up should be doing and so when you said i'm just not afraid do you scare people around you like did you scare your family when you said you know, they were probably so excited You're, you, when you get out and you and you finish all this schooling and then you go, I'm going to go teach seventh grade math. They're like, what? And then you're like, well, I'm doing I'm going back to school. D does that scare other people around you? Um, I, I think I scared my dad in particular <laughs> because he did not think this was a good idea and yeah. thought it would end very badly. Um, and, you know, he was a, an immigrant to this country and had worked yeah. very hard and had given up a lot to pay for my tuition and 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 knew that you know teachers are in this uh in this society you know yes. not the most respected so i think he was um you know not yeah. only afraid i mean, was horrified might be the right word about you know what the hell i was doing with yeah. my uh, hard-earned um from his perspective anyway education um so i think that's right i think he um um you know may not have been alone but i will say you know my mom who's an artist um, she is maybe the person I get my lack of fear from because okay. she is like, you know, she's unafraid. I mean, she's like just a very kind of like, uh, you know, she, she wasn't, she wasn't really, um, she hasn't been, you know, I think intimidated in so many ways when she, when I, I see her meet like important people and I see her interact with, and she's, um, you know, she doesn't have like a kind of confidence that comes from thinking that she's better than anyone. I think she just is, she, you know, maybe the childlike, um, yeah. you know, you mentioned that. Um, and when I was an undergraduate, my, um, my advisor or one of my mentors was um, uh, a very famous psychologist named Jerry Kagan, uh -huh. who, you know, was for a long time the chair of the department at Harvard and, and he studied child development. And he, he wrote, I think in my recommendation that, um, I was childlike and he meant it in a positive way, but he was like, I have never met anyone as childlike as wow. Angela. And I do think there's this sort of like, uh, you know, fearless, like a kid is just sort of yeah. like, gee, I wonder what this does. Yeah. Um, and that curiosity yeah. has just exposed us to so many things that people are ranting and raving about with your research. But it's because I'm just, I'm obsessed with, well, why did you decide to do that about everybody that's doing something that, we need or is impressive or is a, a world-class performer in their regard i always wonder well what made you just walk outside and start doing that so i i, I really wanted to get to that first and i appreciate you sharing that for sure yeah it's a great uh, question to be asking people so you and then you do this ted talk right and and then mm -hmm. and things start to really take off with this research but i mean the word grit is not new why do you think yeah. why do you think people sort of took this um topic of conversation and ran with it why did it get why did it get hot 
I don't know. I've asked myself that. I have some guesses, but I really don't know. Um, I don't. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't really. Uh, you know, fully appreciate even now. Like, why is my book on the bestseller list? I, I mean, yeah. I, I like really honestly cannot tell you. Um, uh, only just because there's so many books, and there's so many great books, yes. um, and there are books on similar topics, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. how do I achieve my potential? So, um, you know, clearly one reason it's you know um, a popular topic is I really do think people are ambitious and it's not 1% of us. It's a hundred percent of us who would, you know, like to um, say that we're good at something um, and feel like we've gotten somewhere with our lives. So I think people are all ambitious. That's why these books of, you know, not just mine, but you know, others like mindset um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, how to win friends and influence people. Um, you know, there are lots of books about how to achieve your potential yeah. uh, or do something you can't yet do. So I think that's partly it, but then that doesn't explain it entirely because there's definitely more books than mine that are on that topic. Um, I think maybe it's partly because people like um, uh, or appreciate now science. And so yeah. they, there was an appeal to like there being a scientific base to these things that I think are probably correct in a lot of other people's books, but maybe they didn't have, um, you know, the, the sort of the persuasive, uh, you know, the authority of science. I think the last thing I would say is that, um, I, I told, I wrote my book as a, as, as a story that was very personal and that reflects partly, you know, I'm a woman. I, um, I, I decided that I would write like a book that would be in my voice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are a lot of books, um, written by like male journalists and they write in their voice. So that's totally legitimate. If yes. they want to write in their voice, it's like, a you know, you listen to it, you can, you read it and you just hear a guy like from CNN, you know, and yeah. I yeah. don't read that. I read like, you know, I, I read Twilight. I love Twilight. I like, cried when, you know, Bella and Edward yeah. like broke up and I was like, Oh, I'll just write the book that I, it's like maybe more authentic to me. Yeah. And maybe for some people that was, uh, you know, part of the appeal that it's, it's kind of a personal story. Well, that's why it grabbed me is it was incredibly approachable. The research was wonderful but it was like it wasn't this thing that like you almost keep at arm's length because you don't feel like you're qualified to be reading it and you you brought this almost nudge to people that was an encouragement because so many of the kids that I work with have an already uh almost concrete belief um that that we have to start chipping away at as soon as we start working with them that they are disqualified from a lot of the good stuff life has to offer Hmm, interesting and so when this thing and meeting you and these emails back and forth and phone conversations started to begin i was like this is it this is how we start to kind of melt this away um Hmm. and so and i also think you timed it up because you you made the decision to go into teaching and you saw something you're very observant and you, and you realize that, you know what, this, there is no correlation between, I don't see it. My best students are not the ones you'd expect. And the ones that are really, really brilliant aren't really performing like I thought they would. There's something else here. It is 100%. Um, one of the major, major issues in, in athletics and college football in, in particular is emotional resiliency. 
and mm-hmm. one, and one of the things that take place is the recruiting process is out of control. It's completely mm-hmm. out of control with the way these kids are courted and put up and almost to where doesn't matter what they do. They can be all Americans and they will not be able to live up to the hype that is generated to convince these kids to come to these universities because it is a major, major, major economic decision when those when these schools at the top of this of of the game are able to get these kids to commit and they're only 18 years old they have no there's Mm -hmm. no foundation here to be able to make this type of decision that they're forced to make way faster than they should ever have to but it happens and then it then it starts and they get uh they get setbacks or they don't play or they get hurt or whatever and there's a thing now i'm sure you've heard of it's called the transfer portal and what it is Mm -hmm is kids now they throw their name on this site says it's not working out here at i.e the monster school that you we all watch on saturdays and it turns into a frenzy it's like throwing cut up bait in a shark tank right Mm. and then the and the recruiting process starts all over again for the kid because Mm. the guy the kid the kid that they missed out on on signing day is now available again and the kid instead of the kid not having a choice and I just got to stay and I got to make this work and I got to fight my way out of this. They now have a loophole or if you, it's, that's, I don't, mm. I don't like the term loophole, but they can, mm. they can, they can bail on this project and start somewhere else. Right. Mm, I didn't know about that. Well, how long has that been? This is literally in the last year and a half. This has just huh. started. And it's a, it's now a major kind of key is like, you know, it's not that you get one star quarterback on on your campus. It's you need three because one's going to win the job and the other two are going to transfer when they don't win it. So hmm. that's and that's what's going on. And so, couple that with this constant communication from just scrolling on social media. And I don't want to do all the talking here, but I just want to set this up. No, this is like so interesting. Yeah, is uh. Everybody at in at all times in any free moment you have, you take your smartphone out and you look and you compare your life with what everybody else is. But the problem is, is everything you see is all the good stuff because that's all everybody's posting, right? So if yeah. something doesn't seem beautiful or easy or natural or whatever, I, I must be bad at it. And if I'm bad at it, it's not for me and I need to stop doing it. And so mm. one of the things that I want to do is pull the curtain back and say, it's really okay for you to struggle and flail and flop around at this. And let's, let's be honest with each other instead of trying to see if we're the coolest kid in school and instead of not being and not telling each other the truth. Uh, mm. So where do you, where would you start with um, you, you, you see a lack of resiliency almost society-wide in my opinion because um Mm -hmm. parents blame somebody else or whatever there's a lack of account of self-accountability parental accountability whatever and it's and the byproduct is a lack of resiliency when things start to get rough a resiliency towards what you want to do i think people are really good at surviving but they're not really good at living life um in an abundant way like there's more out there and i demand it People are really yeah. good at just settling because it really is kind of easier just to settle. Um, what, so if you can weigh in yeah. on that, I don't know how to really 
Yeah, no, it's really articulate and it's very interesting. Um, I think, um, well, I was recently talking to Jim Collins, um, you know, of good to great fame. And, you know, he asked me, what would be a flywheel for grit? And he asked me that question because he found in great companies that um, they have a flywheel. They do something where like A makes B happen, B makes C happen. C makes A happen, and therefore you get into this positive spiral, right? Yes. So it's a it's a really um, powerful idea, and I have been thinking about it for weeks. And like, what is a flywheel for grit? Mm. Um, and I don't know that I have a great answer, but I have an answer, and that is, um, I think that uh, when you are forced to, well, let's just say what the flywheel is, and then like, I think you could talk about like how you could start at different points of the flywheel. But you know, the flywheel is just gonna have two things in it, and one is being gritty and and, and you know um, resilient, working hard, etc. And the other one is uh, believing that you can. So confidence, or in jargon, it's called like self-efficacy, yes. um, and it's very related to you know growth mindset, etc. Yeah. So these are two parts of because I think and actually have data from. Um, kids that we like followed over time so we could see you know their grit what their teachers said of their grit and also they self-reported their belief that they you know that you they could change that their abilities could change growth mindset and I think the flywheel could be you know if you want kids to be more resilient so it is interesting to think about this transfer portal because I do think that when you quote-unquote force some one to do something just that they don't think they can do um but they can do but they don't think they can do it like they don't think they can make things work that season they don't think they can you know solve that math problem or like push a couple extra seconds in practice if you get that part of the flywheel going you can change their confidence or their belief that they could do it's like oh i didn't think i could do it yeah now i do think i could do it yes and that encourages them to work harder so so hard work and then confidence, I think, could be part of a, of a just a very simple flywheel. You know, one leads to the other, and that's exactly what we find in our data. So one leads to the other. So it's this upward spiral. I I think, um, you know, when you think about Steve Young's story about being at you know um, Brigham Young University and then you know basically crying to his dad and asking to come home, yeah, um, and, and then being forced to stay and make it work. Um, you know, that maybe was the first part of the flywheel. And in, and in psychotherapy, what you do with a patient who has a severe phobia, you know, spiders or airplanes, yeah. is that you, you force them to do something that they don't want to do, like just in baby mm-hmm. steps, right? I don't think yes. you can force people to do things that are just wildly beyond. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a kind of a precedent for that. And the last thing I'll just say is that, you know, in developmental psychology, there was a great psychologist named Lev Vygotsky, uh-huh. V-Y-G-O-T-S-K-Y. And he talked about kids' um, zone of proximal development as being like what they couldn't yet do um, on their own, but with some support they could do. And I think a great coach helps their players, you know, do what they can't do on their own, but they, they, they need a little support, they need a little pushing. Um, and I think that sets in motion this growth spiral. Mm, um, growth spiral. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I think there are lots of ways that this could go wrong. You know, you push too hard, oh, yeah. you know, you're, you know, you, you get a, you, you, you know, not the right, you don't say the right thing if the, you don't say it at the right time. Yes. But, um, you know, most of us, I think, are better because somebody, you know, made us do something that we didn't 
quite want to do, well, and they, they did it in such a yeah, yeah, maybe think, maybe all of us. Yes, uh, well, that's really interesting because I think this is where the art of coaching comes from: is when to push, when to back off, when to, exactly when to love, when to, and that. Uh, you, and you mentioned empathy first: is coaches um, because the machine is moving so fast at the at the professional ranks of coaching and in division one college football and the nfl that sometimes i think we we miss especially young coaches on the front end learning the the backstory of this individual and if you knew it and if you understood what it, that backstory the impact that that had on that person that kid that young adult that man then you know what to say and how to press it when and you're talking about uh which when we talked b before about undoing toxic stress right because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. one of the one of the one of the uh articles written kind of trying to push back on grit research was about mm -hmm. how can you how can you tell a kid just to you know pull himself up by his bootstraps when he has no socioeconomic uh, support and he doesn't have Steve Young's dad as a parent. And he's, yeah. and he's basically, he's just, he's in total survival mode. And what we called it was the cutthroat mentality, right? Is everything that happened to this kid in his adolescence uh, up to this point to stepping on our campus has suggested that life is awful, it's hateful, yeah. and it's kill or be killed type deal and and one of the downfalls that coaches we do is we just yell the desired result at the kid instead yeah. of yelling or creating a process that gets him to understand and value it right I love uh Joel Jameson wrote an article about the science of toughness mental toughness it's just your brain's chemical equation is this worth it Right. Yeah. And yeah. So you and, and your your character lab uh, platform is discussing things that I'm not sure when you when you when you're dealing with the kind of kid that I'm talking about. Are these things on his self map? Right. Do are these points of interest to him? Right. Is empathy and and being honest and character and optimism and hope and social intelligence, curiosity, gratitude. How do I make a kid care about that? That's like. I want money so that we don't have to be hungry anymore. Right. And yeah. so, yeah. And, and it's almost like we've gone back 300 years in civilization when that's much of the nation, especially much of the nation that's coming into playing college football are coming from extreme poverty. And so how does a coach get somebody to say, you go other than just saying, you know, you got to be a great teammate. You got to be a great teammate. Well, he doesn't care about that he cares about football is a way to improve his situation that he was in that he doesn't want to ever have to go back into but what we what i think is interesting with your research and what you're talking about is we can lead a guided discovery that basically puts them in more difficult situations it's almost counterintuitive. You make a kid that struggled severely his whole life and you throw him into more struggle. And if now that, if you don't do that correctly, you're going to send him right back into the feelings that he had when he had no control over it. Uh, and so can you kind of take me through your thoughts on, yes, we have to be empathetic to what they're doing, but our empathy 
our sympathy and telling them that's not right, you shouldn't have had to go through that is not going to lead them out of it. Well, I, I think when you said, you know, coaching is an art because there's so much complexity, so many variables, you know, every kid is different, every day is different, every coach is different, and it's it's not possible to give rules of thumb that, you know, right. can't be abused or misused. So I think you're right. Um, I mean, I have a couple reactions, but I think I mostly want to say, like, you're right. So I can't really say, you know, I would definitely do that. but. Well, no, I, I want to just affirm that I think you're right there. And I, I, you know, in terms of like a kid who's coming from, you know, uh, a, a traumatized background or uh, you just don't have the full story of, of what's going on, but there's a lot going on and it's not necessarily good. Um, I think the question is like, can you get to the can you get to the point where this kid feels an appropriate level of challenge, mm-hmm. which means they have to be asked to do something they can't yet do? That's what a challenge is. Yes. For any, for any of us, you know, whether you're a child of a millionaire or a, a child of somebody uh, who is nothing or whatever you are, mm-hmm. so you have to put kids in uncomfortable positions. All your kids, you know, wherever they are, and that's going to be a different place for every kid, but they'll all be challenged relative to where they started or where they you know, where they were yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I think the other question is like that support. I mean, you know, the coaches that I admire most um, are like parent figures in the most profound sense. And I think that kind of unconditional support and, you know, um, I uh, have a a friend who's working, you you know, I'm sure you know, Dan Coyle, who wrote the talent code and the culture code. And I think the expression he used was caring um, and candor seem like they're opposites right like if i care about you i'm not gonna like be hard on you whatever um right but what about candor right and i and it, i love his phrase you know candor as a form of caring mm-hmm. you know like i wouldn't be i wouldn't be hard on you i wouldn't be like you know because the easy thing for me to do as a coach is just like let you do whatever you want i mean the same thing with parenting yeah. right it's like yeah. the easy thing is like you, all of it right yeah. don't take your cereal bowl don't like you know don't write a thank you note to your teacher at the end of the year like just it's uh it's candor as a form of caring i I think the 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 thing that the coach has to do with all of their wisdom and their empathy and their life experience is to you know really communicate in an unambiguous way over and over again that you genuinely care about um this person this young person you're coaching um and because you care you're going to you know be candid and also that you're human and you're going to screw up and like there are days that you're just you know, I think once you build that trust, I think the other thing that happens is that players can, they can see the through line and they get what you're trying to do. And, you know, you could potentially like not exactly say the precisely the right thing, but, right. but they also give you a little leeway um, after they know that you're on their side. Yes. One of the things we talked about in the past was like, I'm willing to be really gritty, really resilient for things that I love for people that I love. Right. But Mm -hmm. where, where did this growth of love of the thing of love come from? And basically what I'm trying Mm -hmm. to say is like, I've seen kids move to areas of the country that they would never, ever be in. Right. Otherwise than to play football. And they're willing to go through, 
you know, 46, 47, 48 weeks out of the year, brutal training to play this game that they love. But you can't, you couldn't just give them a million dollars to go sit in math class and do right. their work, right? Cause yeah. they, and they hate it. They say, I hate school. I hate school. And, and so I go, well, then why do you love football? And they can't tell me. And one of the hunches that I have is I really think we grow to love things that speak the frequency of appreciation that we speak. And what I mean by the, the old Dr. James Dobson uh, love languages, right? Hmm. And, and when kids, you know, what, what I did was we gave every single kid on our team the, the marriage counseling love language test. And the, co- the kids were freaked out. They're like, why are you asking us if I'd rather hold my girlfriend's hand or, you know, get a present from her? And I said, just answer the question. And so we get, we get these feedback and it was overwhelming. Like 90% of our team was either uh, words of affirmation. They need that a boys, great jobs, public affirming that what they're doing is correct and right and good and everybody look at him or time quality quality time now inversely the same demographic uh the same percentage within like five percent it was like 85 percent of our team uh self-reported no relationship or a poor relationship with their fathers and as I'm going through this parental experience raising two children, one of the things that I notice that they crave from me is affirmation and time. So it's almost like these guys are so resiliently chasing football because they are they are starving for those languages to be spoken into them. And when we can do that as coaches, they are now willing to be way grittier than they were before. It's almost like they let their guard down. Have you? And what? what yeah. What does that look like? What does it mean? Like, have I, if I if I visited, what would it look like to be using, you know, words of affirmation? Or well, yeah. Well, one of the things um, is when when they when they demonstrate the you know, cultural habits or the behavior or whatever we're saying that the, the program, uh, values, right. Um, and a team meeting, just, just bringing him up there in front of all his peers, because, you know, locker rooms are very tribal, right. Uh, you, and you, and you just say, this is what we're talking about, guys. This guy right here is doing what we said we have to do to get us where we want to go. He is, he is, projecting us in the right direction thank you for your contribution to this program and you hand them a t-shirt and you and then Hmm. i'm physically so maybe i'm trying it's almost like a shotgun approach because maybe there's multiple Hmm. layers to how this kid uh receives Hmm. appreciation so i'm gonna i'm gonna you know uh appropriately put my hand over on his shoulder right if he's a physical touch uh, appreciation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna verbally say it to his peers now. It's which is makes it more important when it's public because I'm having an emotional moment with him. And then if he receive, if gifts mean something to him, and it's just a stupid T-shirt that we got from the equipment room, but just it means something now. It's almost like a, a piece of valor to him that because this happened and I and I and I paid with a bunch of discomfort, but then this was my reward and I got it, we. What we're trying to do, and some, and I'm very obviously. Look, I'm a I'm a phys ed guy, so you tell me to hush. But what mm-hmm. I want to do is flood 
his brain with endorphins to where it creates a reference point that behavior now he he almost gets addicted to wanting to replicate it because it felt Mm. so good and i want everybody else in the room to salivate to feel the same way that speaks Mm. that same kind of language now if it's another kid i'll i'll check before we go have that team meeting to make sure hopefully he has a different couple different types of uh of love languages and now the rest of the room that didn't have that emotional response to watching what happened with him uh can have the the same attachment to the different type of appreciation that we speak if it's an act of service or or whatever it may be which happened to actually be the lowest on the totem pole of of where our kids fell in in acts and words of uh love languages was acts of service so when kid, when mm. you realize, like, man, don't you understand what I'm trying to do for you? No. <laughs> we found out, literally, statistically, our kids do not. Um, mm, that's so interesting. Yeah. I'm going to buy that book. I don't have that book. I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so another question I have for you. Um, right? You, you, you find this great research out. You, you realize there's there's one... Or, or multiple, but it can be wrapped up in this word grit. But then you, you launch this character lab. And yeah. uh, another, again, I want to ask, why do you care? Why do you care that kids need to feel hope and optimism and, and social intelligence, curiosity and gratitude as I'm looking through the site here? Uh, I mean, I'm so, so glad that someone <laughs> as respected as you uh, does, but, but you don't have to. And I guess I want to ask where that came mm. from. Yeah, well, I'm, um, I'm, I'm thinking about how it is that I came to love this thing. Like you're, like you said, you know, I don't think anyone loves everything. Um, and everyone loves, I hope, or comes to love something. Um, so why do I care so much about kids developing into the kind of people who, um, uh, have good lives for themselves and then good lives for others, which is how I define character, you know, all those things gratitude and curiosity grit and um humility etc that 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 help you live a good life for yourself and for others which is what i think aristotle meant when he used the word character to describe the good life um i guess i care you know um well everyone cares to some extent but why have i devoted so much energy to it i mean i think the big idea of character lab is that um the the scientific method can make progress on things that humanity has been working on since its very dawn. Mm-hmm. And um, so cool. every, I mean, every parent and every teacher, every coach, uh, every pastor, every, you know, uh, every person who has a young person in their life in some way, shape or form is doing character development. Um, and I think most of us just do it on intuition and on what, what our parents said to us or what our, you know, ninth grade coach said to us. And I think that, um, you know, gets us pretty far. But if you look at modern medicine as an analog, you know, people are living nearly twice as long as they did, not a f- not more than a few hundred years ago. Right. I mean, literally twice as long. And why? Well, a lot of that has to do with modern medicine. And a lot of modern medicine, in fact, maybe all of modern medicine was like applying the scientific method to understanding like, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, viruses and cancer. And, um, and I think 
we don't, we don't do the same thing when we ask ourselves like, oh, well, you know, how would we motivate this kid who's really lacking in the confidence they could do? Like this, this other kid, you know, he really does need to learn how to get along better with, with other people. Um, Why can't we apply the scientific methods so that all those coaches, parents, uncles, aunts, grandmas, you know, have something that's more than just intuition about what to say and do. So that's the big idea of character lab. And I, I, I think sometimes I do wonder, like, wow, what? what? There's <laughs> a lot of, a lot of work, a lot what of hours, doing? a lot of, a lot of stress. Um, but I'm the kind of person where, like, if there is a good idea, it's hard for me not to. It's hard for me to look away from it. Like, I'm like, oh, oh that's a good yeah. idea, and I'm just like, oh wait, I can't, like, can't tear my eyes away from this good idea. Yeah. And then I end up wanting to work on it. That's a, that's interesting the way to put that. Why do you think? that we basically compartmentalized, uh, you know, it it seems logical. Like, we need to apply to find this medicine to this disease. Let's let's ask a question. Let's form a hypothesis. Let's test it. Why does it seem like such a novel idea to apply this to humanity? You know, um, I think in many ways um, it's harder so, you know, it's hard enough to, like, cure pneumonia or, like, figure out, like, how to, like, you know, treat um, uh, someone's, uh, you know, stage one tumor. But, like, I think that um, when you talk about human behavior change, I mean, human nature is just the most complex thing I, I know of. And yes. um, it's just harder. So it's like you want to do a scientific test of, like, what's going to motivate, you know, um, an 18-year-old um and, and there's so much more complexity to that 18-year-old and what they believe and why they believe it and what they're thinking right now and, you know, how they're interacting with the other 20 18-year-olds that they, you know, just saw in the last five minutes. And then, you know, it's just harder because human beings are so complex. I think that's a big reason behind it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of things, people have done things just the way they've always done them. So there's a huge amount of inertia and it's hard to remember for example like if just take the analogy of cooking you know for a long time people cooked things and they they would learn to cook things from just watching other people and then verbally you know maybe somebody would say like oh yeah you know you you want to cook that a little longer and for a long time people didn't think you could do anything like create a recipe they just thought it would be absurd like how would you create a recipe like how would you know and, and with measurements, like a quarter teaspoon, a half teaspoon. <laughs> yeah. And now now the idea that like, oh, like recipes, like, I mean, obviously, if, if, if anybody doesn't know how to cook, they start with a recipe. So yeah. may, maybe these things were like, oh, great coaches have been great coaches. And, you know, some players are really mentally resilient. And like, you know, they just they sort of pick it up and they're like, yeah. watch each other. But I think the idea of making it more explicit um, and creating, you know, more knowledge that's kind of, shared knowledge is is a great um idea for for human you know just for human beings to to do what they wouldn't have been able to do without that there's a common theme that i'm seeing throughout this conversation like we are reaping the benefits of your research and we're able to apply this to coaching and and apply this to teaching and parenting and because you weren't afraid to go ask these questions, right? Because you weren't afraid to walk away from a 
Well, in the case of Character Lab, I'll just also say I wasn't afraid to ask the other scientists who are, you know, the experts in there. So, so I didn't write most of the stuff on Character Lab. It's like Adam Grant, you know, wrote his part, and you know, right. Sonia Lubomirsky. Right. But yeah, but I was not afraid to ask them. Intellectual <laughs> humility is that what you call it? I guess so. Well, I'm working or, on that one, but I knew I knew that I didn't want. I you know, I think there's that a lot what, of fear with yeah. that too is admitting, hey, I. I would love for your feedback on this, right? Because or for you to write this, yeah. right? I mean, I don't. I really didn't write the things that are not in my in my you know skill set. Like I, I, right. I, yeah. But anyway, I was not afraid to ask them, and also I wasn't so arrogant as to think I should write the playbook on everything. Yeah. But anyway, just yeah. wanted to clarify that because no, I, and I, I think, yeah. yeah, and you can see I think that it's important. on the site. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, and I appreciate that. I think that arrogance can be, uh, and, and I know you, you we got to go here, um, but arrogance can be fear's cousin almost. Yeah. So if if all of these things that we get to enjoy, the good life, as Aristotle said, um, are because we remove fear, uh, how do we do this? How do we raise our kids? If you had one thing you could say, how do we, mm. how do we have an impact that basically pulls back the curtain on fear-based action or the avoidance of action to avoid failure or pain or embarrassment or anything like that when people are out there with all the tools, all the skill sets, all the, the knowledge to go do something that we can all uh, benefit from, but they're just afraid of what might happen. Uh, how, how, how can we help people chip away at that? I'm remembering when my kids were young um, and, you know, one of my two girls, you know, the kind of thing that every parent does, it's like, oh, you know, you go and pay the check or, you know, you go bring this bill up to the, just to do something that they're not yet confident in doing. And they're, no, 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 you do it, mommy. Like, and um, yeah. I, I, I think the question is this, can you um, constantly and without tiring, um, you know, try to put young people in a position that they have to take one step, not a hundred, not even 10 steps, just, just one step that they're afraid to take, but you know that they can do it. Um, you know, before they know, um, and, and with the support that they you know, you know, your, your kid could be like looking back at the table and you're giving them a reassuring smile and then, you know, they go and do it and they feel like a million dollars afterwards. I think what every coach and parent needs to do is to be vigilantly, constantly, tirelessly looking for like how you can get young people to take just that one step that they're not yet able to take on their own without you being there, without them like turning around, looking at you, you giving them that reassurance. Mm. Um, it's so hard to do because oftentimes you're just going to get wrong. You're going to ask them to take 10 steps and, and you, you got it wrong. You asked them to go too far or, or, you know, they could have taken that step and you, you underestimated them and, you know, you, you did too much for them. You cleared too many problems out of the way. But I think, you know, thinking about like your job is to put, you, you know, your full-time nonstop uh, job is to put kids constantly over and over again in positions where they have to take one step forward that they don't know that they can do, but, but you know, they can do. Yeah. Um, and I think I get it wrong almost all the time. Um, but I, but I do know that's my job and I think that's helpful. Well, starting with the realization that that's your job, that is 
awesome. And I don't want to take any, I could talk to you for hours and hours. But you <laughs> have those types of, uh, I really, really appreciate, um, your generosity with your time. Um, thank you, Luke. You're, you're very psychologically wise. That's, that's the technical term. And, um, I, I always appreciate our conversations. Thank you so much. Um, anything else? No, uh, to be continued. I wrote down some notes from this conversation, things that I'm going to continue to think about. And um, okay. I'm going to go buy five love languages. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we. I really got into that when I was working with the Cincinnati Bengals. Chip Morton turned me on to that. And he was like, listen, if you can speak these guys' language, they're going to be all over it. Because that's a different dynamic to where they don't necessarily have to do what you're asking them to do. <laughs> Cause they're, yeah, they're yeah. So there's a little different approach there than it is. With yeah, so, <laughs> but, but probably a lesson for all of us, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. Thank you so so much. All right. Okay. Good. You have a good day, and uh, I'll look forward to our next conversation. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.